And if you go back to before the big 1967 devaluation of sterling, which was not the last devaluation, we had subsequent ones, but that one was pretty big. Before that 1967 devaluation of sterling, you could have taken any amount of gold or silver that corresponded to the value of sterling at that time. So, you know, pick your precious metal. Were you then to take a look at today's petrol price, what you would find is that petrol is not only not more expensive today than it was in the 60s, but it's actually less expensive today than it was in the 60s in terms of gold and silver. That's how good gold and silver have been since 1967 vis-a-vis sterling as stores of value. Hello and welcome to the Money Magpie podcast. In these podcasts, we cover all things money and investing to help you grow your wealth without tears. Today, we're looking at a subject that has recently become of great interest to me personally, even though it's a product that I've ignored for years. We're talking about gold, that shiny, pretty metal that has built up and destroyed empires for centuries. With gold, you're kind of in or you're out. I've always been completely uninterested in gold, apart from earrings, of course. But now, with so much uncertainty in the world, particularly in the economy, I'm suddenly really interested in it as an investment. So partly, frankly, for my own interest, as well as yours, I've brought in some experts to talk about gold as an investment and whether now is a good time to buy or perhaps sell. So firstly, I'm joined by Andy Dickey from the Royal Mint. Hello, Andy. Hello there. Hi, nice to be with you. And you, great to have you. Tim Price from Price Value Partners, Wealth Managers. Hi, Tim. Hello. And John Butler, who, among many other things, is author of a book called The Golden Revolution, which has recently been updated as well. So thank you for coming, John. Thank you, Jasmine. So, Tim, I'm going to start with you. We've seen the price of gold go up in the last year, though not as much as we might have expected. What what are you seeing at the moment when it comes to the price of gold? I mean, we've always used, uh, we've always allocated to gold and silver as monetary metals. So the fact that the gold prices now seems to be forming some kind of a base at around $1,850, $1,900 an ounce isn't too much of a surprise to us because we've been been long-standing gold bugs for for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. To go back a bit, though, I think it's worth asking yourself why, why there's merit in holding gold at this particular moment in time. It's not a function of just speculatively purchasing an asset in the hope that it goes higher in price. So, of course, we, we want that to happen, too. It's primarily a, a function of the appalling nature of the instability within the global debt market. What, what is often overlooked by investors is most, most of the financial media and most commentators and most investors tend to focus more or less exclusively on the stock market. And that's fine because the listed stock market tends to be over the medium to long term where you make money. However, what, what a lot of investors are unaware of, and certainly probably many in the financial media are unaware of, is that the bond markets, the, the, the sum total of government borrowing, corporate borrowing and household borrowing, the size of the bond markets globally completely dwarfs the stock market. Mm-hmm. So developments in bonds are actually far more important than they're often given credit for. And the point I'd simply make now is that interest rates, which are a key driver for bond prices, interest rates have not been this low in all of recorded history. And because A, bonds are super expensive and B, 
governments are still borrowing like there's no tomorrow. We are very concerned about that. And that, that for us is the primary reason why we want to own gold, because it's a form of money that can't be printed. Tim, this is similar to the way you're thinking about bond markets and, and gold, etc. Absolutely. So the objective for our business, for our clients and for our own family money and for our own personal money, because it's all invested in the same way, is to, is to preserve capital in real terms. And what I think the coronavirus crisis and the government response to the so-called pandemic has been meant that governments throughout the West have lost their minds, they've lost their senses, <laughs> and they're printing money like it's going out of fashion. Mm. And ultimately, at some point, it will go out of fashion. So on the margin, investors, I think, are watching with a sense of disbelief. Andy, you must also be seeing a massively increased interest in gold and gold products. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's fair to say that gold and more generally precious metal investing kind of broke through into the mainstream on the back of, of COVID. There was so much uncertainty, especially in the early days, that we just found that the mass consumer, the retail investor, really flocked into precious metal investing. Our product portfolio is is kind of suited to a range of kind of sophistication levels of investment. We have straightforward, you know, physical metal accumulation products. We have digital savings products, but we also have, uh, you know, a London Stock Exchange listed product and on, on all of them found new customers during the kind of height of COVID. And we're just coming off the back of a, a record year from the, the precious metals business at the Royal Mint. It's been quite phenomenal. And we don't see that demand dropping away anytime soon. Gold, silver and platinum seem to have found their place on portfolios for the for the foreseeable. It does seem interesting to see how many new gold products are, are out because you've brought out one, I think, fairly recently, haven't you? I mean, the thing with gold is it can be quite intimidating to get into. There's a lot of misconceptions. People think you have to take delivery of high value physical metal. We've created a product called DigiGold, which allows smaller investors to accumulate gold from as little as £25 per month. So it's, it's incredibly accessible. It's one of our most popular products. You are, in effect, buying into a store of the value of gold that is contained incredibly safely at the Royal Mint Vault. You know, we sit outside the financial system that is prone to systemic shocks from time to time. And every month, you can use something that, that we've built called Auto Invest just to gradually build up your ownership of gold in the Royal Mint Vault. Mm, nice. And as you say, a store of value. John, you've talked a lot about gold really as a store of value, really for whole economies as well. What do you see as the near future and, and far future for gold in, in terms of our economies? Well, I think that there are several ways in which gold kind of already does and will continue to play an, an important role. As Andy just indicated, you, you do see the occasional surge in demand for gold as a safe haven when people are concerned about well, just about anything that could affect the economy and their savings over time. But as Tim pointed out a few moments ago, normally people would simply go to the bond market when they wanted a safe study fixed income. But the bond market has now been so heavily influenced by central banks bringing yields down to incredibly low levels historically amidst a huge debt pile historically. It it causes us to fundamentally question whether bonds can really function as an effective store of value anymore. And one thing I always said was that bond prices or, or interest rates, if you prefer, 
They're kind of to the financial markets generally what the speed of light is in an Einsteinian universe. That is, <laughs> it's the only true universal point of reference. The prices of stocks, the prices of corporate bonds, risky assets, structured investments, it doesn't matter. The price of all financial assets is heavily influenced by the baseline interest rate itself, which is what is determining bond prices. And the problem is central banks have been using that interest rate to try and manage their economies for years now, and they've been distorting that interest rate and distorting the bond market as a result. Now, imagine, if you will, that you know, Mother Nature, God, whatever you want to call it, started fiddling around with the speed of light. I mean, it would cause everything in the known universe to become distorted. We wouldn't be able to make sense of it. And sadly, that's kind of the situation we're in today. And, and there's no easy way out of it. And so I believe that gold, as a safe haven against all of that uncertainty and potential financial market mayhem, is going to remain in strong demand going forward. And every time a new investor wakes up to gold as a possibility, then every time their expectation of the risk of some sort of crisis in future goes up, they'll accumulate more. That's a qualitative shift in demand for gold. Once you wake up, you don't go back to sleep. There's a whole array of new gold-aware people. And this is also true of institutional investors who, as you can imagine, have an awful lot of firepower when it mm. comes to the financial market. Well, absolutely. And, and Tim, I, I'm guessing that you're also feeling that, that this lack of, of solid backing to, the, to money is one of the reasons why we're seeing the start of inflation. And I'm, I believe that when you have high inflation, gold is a good place to put your money. Sure. I mean, we, we never saw, like probably like everybody, we never saw the impact of sort of the COVID crisis when it sort of first washed ashore in the first quarter of last year. But that said, we were concerned about the debt market. So we don't own bonds and we do own a fairly meaningful allocation to, to got the precious metals, gold and silver, specifically the monetary metals and related equity interests. In other words, mining companies that, that operate in that space that are relatively cheap and hopefully quite highly cash generative and have little or no debt. Sometimes one of the best ways of assessing relative value in financial markets is through comparing ratios or, or comparing what, you know, charts. And one thing that we found highly interesting is that if you, if you look at the ratio of a broad commodities index, for example, the Bloomberg Commodities Index, which is not just gold and silver, but obviously the whole commodity space, commodities relative to the S&P 500, which is the, the major stock index for the US, the equivalent of our FTSE 100, on that basis, commodities have not been this cheap relative to paper assets, to, to equity assets for 60 years. If that's a, a thesis that's workable, then that probably represents the most compelling investment opportunity of my lifetime. Nice. So, so in a sense, you're saying it's not just gold and silver, it's commodities generally. It goes much more broadly than that. But the reason we put a specific focus on gold and silver is what we're most concerned about is the erosion of purchasing power of money. But it, it, this is a problem that's, that's systemic and global and, and universal. Every single currency in the world is being debased right now. So governments and their central bank agents can kind of get away with this game because if, if everyone's devaluing against everybody else, it's almost stasis, nothing really changes. But the one thing that isn't changing is the fact that the price of gold is, is going to be rising in each of those currencies. 
And Tim, obviously, one could take one's money to price value partners and, and get you to invest it for us. But if you were going to suggest to retail investors, you know, somebody like me, somebody like our listeners, how they could invest in different ways in gold, what would you suggest? Where would you suggest they go? We like to diversify. So we, we think diversification is the, the last remaining free lunch in finance. <laughs> so we would always err on the side of having more more than one option so the, the starting point has to be the physical asset itself which is gold bullion so that can either be done in physical form through someone like andy or it can be done through so some form of exchange traded fund or an exchange traded commodity the critical thing for the exchange traded funds is you, you want to ensure that the gold is is actually there and that it mm. can't be lent out or or what's called rehypothecated because the the problem in the if you like there's a derivatives market that the trades off the physical is that there are far too many claims on gold relative to the amount of gold that's actually out there to satisfy those claims. So in other words, at some point, we, everyone's playing musical chairs and a few people are going to be left sitting on their bottom on the ground. <laughs> and John, what do you feel about retail investors in gold? Do you feel that, that this is really the way that most people should be looking at least with part of their money? I believe that you need to consider why gold would belong in a portfolio and start with first principles. And if you simply run the numbers and, and you take a data set, uh, which can go back over 100 years, if you know where to look, you can find the prices for British government bonds. You can find the prices for you know, the, the benchmark stock market, which you know, becomes the FTSE. Uh, you have also similar proxies in the United States, and then you can construct a portfolio using those traditional financial assets, and you can blend in some gold with it. And what you find is that through the ups and downs of what's occurred over the last uh, century or more, blending in about 10 to 15% gold into a portfolio of stocks and bonds that's where you maximize those benefits. And keep in mind, that is just a passive, flat 10 to 15% allocation, not taking into account what we've been discussing about excessive debts, excessive leverage, mm -hmm. unbelievably low bond yields that do not offer reasonable protection against future inflation, even in the face of sharply rising commodity prices that we've seen over the past year. And so you could almost say that that 10 to 15 percent is merely a starting allocation, kind of a, a floor, a, a small financial insurance policy. However, once you've made that determination how much gold to acquire as a core holding, I would recommend that the core holding be through a physical gold custodian of which the Royal Mint is one, there are others. And the reason why I believe that's important is because the nature of gold as an asset, it is not a typical financial asset. It doesn't necessarily need a fund structure. It doesn't necessarily need a prospectus. It doesn't necessarily need to make regular regulatory filings the way funds, stocks, and other securities need to do to comply with securities law and securities regulation. And of course, we're all well aware that complying with laws and regulations is expensive. And so believe it or not, you can get physical gold allocated from a, from a physical gold custodian such as the Royal Mint, and the fees that you pay to acquire that gold and to store it securely, insured, all of it, the fees you pay are actually lower 
than what you pay for one of the exchange traded funds that have to comply with securities laws and regulations, which are expensive. So, so that to me is the way to go. Yes. And Andy, are you finding that people are, are asking you to store the gold more than they were before? Absolutely. I think to Tim and John's point, the, the key driver in initial inquiries for the Royal Mint is, is diversification, is those investors that are looking to put a proportion of their portfolio into precious metals of some form, but they are unsure of what form that should take. You know, we offer pensions and they've been doing phenomenally well over the past sort of 18 months for precisely that reason. People are just looking to allocate, you know, 10 to 15% of their pension fund into gold, silver or platinum. I think one of the things that the Royal Mint offers above all others is, to be perfectly honest with you, the vault. It's one of the most secure locations in the world. We're very proud of, of that status, you know, protected 24 Seven. It sits outside the financial system. And when people start talking to our advisors, they realize that the precious metals can be far more liquid than they perhaps realize. So it, it, it's an incredibly liquid and diverse form of investment. And Tim, just finally, what, what do you see as the future of, of gold and frankly, other precious metals? I mean, we've mentioned platinum and silver, which seem to be going up as well, you know, sort of almost on gold's coattails. Do you see it really having a, sorry about the pun, golden future, at least in the short term? I, I think we may yet be on the, the verge of a, a super cycle for pretty much all of the commodities sector, including the monetary metals, gold and silver. And the reason for that is because unless governments change the way they're behaving, there's every reason to think that currencies are going to continue to depreciate in real terms against the value of gold. A question we often get from clients is at what price point we'd look to take profit. Mm -hmm. It's the wrong question to ask. Our answer to that question is it's a conditional one. We will look to take profits in gold or, or rotate out of gold into other assets as and when the circumstances that caused us to own gold in the first place change. That effectively means that the governments of the world have to get religion and start to behave themselves fiscally and financially. I don't see any sign of that happening. So unless and until we see some evidence that they're going to get their house in order, we're going to be happy gold bugs, I think, well into the future. <laughs> and John, I mean, you, you have talked a lot about the potential for the gold standard to come back. Do you see that as possibly happening in our lifetimes? Look, I don't think you could rule it out. The fact is, is that this monetary cycle of history that you can observe if you're an economic historian, and that is my academic background, when you get into these unstable situations, the ultimate solution is to rebuild credibility by repegging to gold in some way. But the fact is that, as we've discussed, there's every reason for retail and institutional demand for gold to be increasing today because the economic environment is what it is, the monetary environment is what it is. And as Tim has just told us, there's not yet any indication that there's going to be a qualitative shift in either monetary or fiscal policy anytime soon. However, were there to be uh, the move at either in this country or any other country to start seriously discussing the possible remonetization of gold, that would imply a potentially large shift in the demand function for gold because you would have suddenly everybody needing to acquire some exposure to gold because it's going to become a reference point for the new money itself. And it becomes explicitly your go-to store of value rather than just being an alternative 
store of value. That shift in the demand function for gold would have the potential to drive the price an order of magnitude higher. And believe it or not, there's a way to estimate what that order of magnitude would be. Hmm. And that is to take estimates of the amount of gold that is available out there relative to the amount of money and bank credit uh, that exists in the system. And then you basically back out via ratios what the implied gold price would be if you had to back some portion of the money supply or some portion of bank credit with gold. And you start getting into pretty astronomical numbers pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, that is gold easily in excess of $10,000 an ounce uh, if you start going down that road. Wow. We've got so used to governments printing money just to, as you say, get, get themselves out of trouble that we've just accepted it, except there is this sense of unease at the, the value of the pound in our pocket or the dollar in our pocket, and therefore gold getting more and more popular. It, it does seem to be that that is the future, at least the, the near future for gold, John. I believe so. And to put it in very practical terms, people sometimes complain about the, you know, the price of petrol at the pump and whatnot, and these other everyday purchases we make, which sometimes seem to become a lot more expensive. It, it gives you some perspective that if you go back to before the big 1967 devaluation of sterling, which was not the last devaluation, we had subsequent ones, but that one was pretty big. Before that 1967 devaluation of sterling, you could have taken any amount of gold or silver that corresponded to the value of sterling at that time. So, you know, pick your precious metal. Were you then to take a look at today's petrol price, what you would find is that petrol is not only not more expensive today than it was in the 60s, but it's actually less expensive today than it was in the 60s in terms of gold and silver. That's how good gold and silver have been since 1967, vis-a-vis -vis sterling as stores of value. Well, I'm going to buy some <laughs> and it's entirely up to everybody else whether they do as well. Of course, we are not financial advisors. Money Magpie is not a financial advice company. We just give information and I've brought in some experts to tell you what they think. It's up to you to make your own decision and potentially to speak to a financial advisor if you're thinking of investing in gold, silver or any other commodity. So thank you so much, John Butler, Andy Dickey and Tim Price for your words of wisdom on gold investing. If you'd like to find out more, we have a few articles on Money Magpie about investing in gold, together with articles on how to invest in an inflationary market. Check out our other podcasts, which you can find on YouTube and through our podcast section on Money Magpie. And don't forget to follow us on social media, either Money Magpie or at Jasmine or at Jasmine Bertles, depending where you're looking. Our producer today was Jenny Bertles, and the music was composed for us by Thomas Hewitt-Jones. 